0: Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much again for this opportunity to worship you. Thank you, God, for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that we can come in your presence and, like Moses, see your glory. We pray and ask Jesus that you would reveal yourself in the way you know best. And, Lord, we pray by the time we walk out, by the end of this service, we will know that you have truly been in this room. Jesus, we thank you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right. Happy Sabbath once again. I'm excited that you guys are here today. I know that God has tremendous things in store. Have you been blessed so far? Amen. God is good. Amen? You know, I just really appreciate that special music. I was reading about one particular martyr. He was thrown into a lion's den. This was during the time of Rome. And he was thrown into a lion's den... And all the people were rooting, death to this Christian, death to this Christian. And everybody was rooting and wanting this man to die. And all the Christians were also thrown in there as well. And as these lions began to come closer, one of the Christians actually got up and began to defy the lions. And all of a sudden the chant changed and it went to, death to the atheists, death to the atheist. And so, folks... God calls us to be faithful in these times. Can you say amen to that? And I believe by the end of this message... ...you will know what the Word of God says. If you're here from our Revelation Today seminar... ...I'm really excited that you are here. I know this is a special morning message... ...but I know that God has special things in store. And I promise you this... ...that as you continue to progress... ...in understanding the Word of God... ...by the end of the three weeks... ...by the end of the, the remaining two weeks of our seminar you will have seen a greater change in your life in the knowledge and understanding of God's word. Can you say amen to that? And so I hope you continue to come out. Tonight's message is entitled what? Prophecies? Haunted houses. houses. Royce, there's a good reason why you're sitting in the front row. (laughs) Folks, tonight's message is extremely important prophecies haunted houses. There's an epidemic taking place all over the world, and it's concerning spiritualism, and we need to know what the Bible is teaching about these times. Amen? And hopefully, if things work out on my PowerPoint, you're actually going to see something paranormal on a video. So make sure you come out tonight. It's going to be very interesting. Well, I'm going to share a very interesting story that I shared just about a few days ago in the Revelation Today seminar. I thought it was important to share this again. There's a man by the name of Eli Wiesel, and he was an individual who was put into the German concentration camps. As a young man, he was thrust into this environment of pain and in suffering. And uh, his mother and his sister actually died because of illness while the time, while they were in this camp. And while they were there, Eli saw a lot of suffering. His own dad Right after they were released, him and his dad actually died of a flu shortly after. His body was so famished. He was an individual that came out of that camp, and he began to write books, got very educated, and has spoken before presidents and before different societies and groups. It's very interesting. He wrote this book called The Trial of God. The Trial of what? The Trial of God. And he says something very interesting that takes place one day while he's in the camp. He was laying on his bed, and you remember those beds were about four to five high, and they reached all the way to the ceiling with just a foot space between you and the top of the other bed. And one day while he was in this camp and just laying on this bed, he lifts up his head and he looks right there in that mini lobby of that camp, and there he sees three rabbis Three rabbis who were actually imprisoned during this time of German occupation. And he's watching these three rabbis, and they're doing something very interesting. Now, these three rabbis, obviously, are not dressed like rabbis. They don't have that dignity of, of being a scholar of the Old Testament. They, they were just, their beards had grown out, they were shaggy looking, and they were wearing these, these uniforms. And so, while he was just on his bed, he noticed these three rabbis get out, and they get into this lobby, and they begin to talk. One of them says, I'd like to begin the trial. The individual who is going to be charged is God Almighty. And so he says, God Almighty is the individual who's going to be charged. And they said, okay, God, get on the stand. And Eli watched these three rabbis as they proceeded with this court case. At the very end of it, they pronounced a verdict. And the verdict was this. God Almighty is guilty of murdering thousands upon thousands of his children. And he watched this whole thing take place, and his mind began to stir with the concept of God. Now think about that for just a second. Here you are, you're in the midst of suffering, you've just lost your mother, you've just lost your your sister, and all you have seen around you is death and destruction and oppression. And here you are, and you are watching this mini trial where people who are supposed to represent God are actually condemning God. And they're actually accusing God of murdering his children, of allowing all these people to die. And they pronounce at the very end of it, God is guilty. That's so remarkable. This individual began to question God. And he still questions God, trying to understand how is it possible that if God is so good that this world could be so bad? Folks, I want to say something, and I mean this. God right now is on trial. He's on what? Trial. Trial. Take your Bible. Let's go to Revelation 14. I want you to see something very interesting. Revelation chapter 14. And if you learned yesterday, you discovered that not only... Are we on trial since 1844? The judgment has began. You also discover that God himself is on trial. Revelation 14, if you're there, go ahead and say amen. amen. And I want you to see in Revelation 14, what you find is three powerful angelic messages, one going out, then another going out, and then another going out, but it is the first angel's message which is, which is extremely important. Look at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and, what, people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the, what, hour of his, what, his judgment has come. This is extremely important. Don't miss this point, folks. Not only are we being tried in this hour, but God Himself is actually on the judgment stand. His judgment has come. The very end of time. God Almighty is being tried, not just before this planet, but before this entire universe. God is on trial right now. God is on trial. Ever since those accusations that came from Lucifer originated and has spread all over the universe, God has sought many different ways to destroy those accusations. And the best way you defeat an idea is with actions. With what? Actions. If anybody ever accuses you of something, the best way to defeat those accusations is by showing by your life who you really are. Amen? Because character speaks more than words. And here you have... The devil, who instigated this rebellion, and the accusations were charged against God. And since then, this insurrection is based upon false misconceptions about the character of God. Now at the cross, we know that Jesus vindicated his character before this world. He even told the disciples, when I be lifted up, the prince of this world is going to be cast out. Lucifer had no more access to heaven, and you discover this when you're reading the entire Old Testament, you find that although Lucifer was exiled from heaven, he still had access to heaven. But it wasn't until the cross that took place that Lucifer, the Bible says in Revelation 12, there was found a place for him no longer. The universe had no more doubt concerning the character of God. But here's something very interesting if the universe has no more doubt concerning the character of God, why hasn't he come back yet? If God's character was completely vindicated at the cross, why hasn't he returned? Because there is more to be vindicated. Even now, there are some things about God that still need to be vindicated before the world. And the the very fact that Jesus hasn't come back is an indication that there are some things that are still left undone. God is on trial right now, folks. And the part we play is extremely important. Now take your Bible. Let's go to Isaiah 43. I want you to see something awesome, something so remarkable right here. Isaiah 43. God is on trial. He's on the stand. He's being accused. Isaiah 43, verse 10, page 698, page 698. Now watch what God says right here. You are my, what? Witnesses. Now I want you to understand this. Watch what God is saying right here. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant who I I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. In this court case, God has actually chosen you to be his witnesses. Well, you said amen to that. But, folks, I want you to understand something. If you're a bad witness, that's bad for God. I mean, he's in trouble. Imagine if you were being accused of something, and you thought, I'm going to bring one of my good friends up there, and he's going to testify for me. And he gets up there, and he completely agrees with the prosecutor. You would think to yourself, why in the world did I call him up there too? Folks, I want you to understand something. This is extremely important. Whether you like it or not, you are a witness in this court case. It's either fortunate for God or it's either unfortunate for God. But you are a witness. You've seen things, you've experienced things in your life. And in some way, your witness is either going to lead the universe to trust God more, or your witness is going to lead the universe to distrust God more. You are God's witnesses. There's no choice here. You are playing a part in this court trial. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, that we are a, a spectacle to the men and to angels. The word spectacle is the word theatron, which basically is the Greek word, means theater. We're in, this, we're in this, theater, this theater, this court case, and here, God is accused, and we are his witnesses. You know, one of my friends, very interesting individual, he likes cars a lot. I mean, he really, really likes cars. Okay? And uh, one day, he decides to borrow his friend's 3000 GT. This isn't the VR4, so it didn't have twin turbos. That's okay if you didn't know what that meant. But, so here he is, he's driving his friend's 3000 GT... And as he's driving, all of a sudden, he, ex- he watches as this one Mustang, excuse me, it was a Camaro, not a Mustang, this Camaro rear-ends somebody, and then all of a sudden, the guy in the Camaro reverses and then takes off. And my friend's in a 3,000 GT. 3,000 GTs look like they're fast. They look like they're fast. And so he does, he thinks to himself, it's time for me to be a hero. I attract those usually as my friends, people who want to be heroes. And he starts chasing after the guy, okay? And he's trying to catch up to the guy. And he starts pointing at the guy, you need to go back, you need to go back. And all of a sudden, the guy driving the Camaro begins to really growl at him and flash something like it was a gun or something. We don't know what it was. And my friend immediately gets scared, and he's like, he puts the car down, he slows it down, he's like, I better go back. And they actually had to have him testify in court about the description of that individual. He was a witness of what he had experienced. He was a witness of the things he had seen. Folks, whether you want to believe it or not, you have been a witness of God. You have been a witness of God. And what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be taking a good look at the life of one individual who was called to the witness stand. And his name is Job. His name is what? Job. Job. Take your Bible Let's go to Job chapter 1. Job, you are now called to the witness stand. Please come up to the front. Don't worry, John, I'm not talking to you. It's okay. He's walking up there as I was saying that. So Job chapter 1, are we there? We're going to learn a little bit about Job before he testifies for God. Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That's page 478. And this man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. Notice the first angel's message is, fear God and give glory to him. But I want you to pay attention to the life of Job. Now watch those words that are being used to describe Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and shunned evil. You know, it's very interesting. The Bible doesn't just tell us to love God. The Bible actually tells us to love God and to hate evil. Sometimes we think to ourselves, loving God means just loving God. But part of loving God is excluding those things that don't lead to the love of God. You're actually called to hate evil as you are called to love God. And so Job was a man like that. Whenever he saw injustice, his heart was stirred. Whenever he saw things that were not right, his heart was stirred. The Bible says he shunned evil. He wanted nothing to do with it. This was a time when there was much oppression. This was a time when slavery was the norm. Job was a man who saw all these things, and the Bible says he shunned evil. Watch what else the Bible says about this man, Job. It's very interesting. Also, his possessions... Verse 2, I'm sorry. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yokes of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. Verse 4, his sons would go and feast in their houses, each one on the appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with him. From the very beginning, we learn that Job is a family man. Okay, now we're starting to build sort of a profile for Job. We understand he shunned evil. He feared God. He loved God. He was a family man. He was well known in the neighborhood. Everyone respected Job. Now watch what else the Bible says about this man, this witness. Verse 5. So it was, when their days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them. He would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Not only did Job love his family, the Bible teaches that Job prayed for his family. Folks, if you're a family person, you're going to pray for your family. Amen? You're going to ask God to do special things in their lives. And this was the individual that Job was. He shunned evil. He loved God. He feared God. He was a family man. And the Bible says that this individual really followed after the ways of God. Now, there's some more about the life of Job I want you to understand. Go to Job chapter 31, verse 1, page 502 in your seminar Bibles. I have made a covenant or contract with who, Job? I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young, what, woman? Job was a family man who believed in purity. Can you say amen to that? I know that's a foreign concept today, but folks, I really believe that God calls us to be pure, to seek after purity. And this is exactly what Job did. He didn't look upon all the attractive young women. No, no, no. His eyes were on his wife. You know one of my favorite bumper stickers, and I can't wait till I get married. This is the bumper sticker I'm gonna have. Hey, okay, ready for this? This is my one of my all-time favorite bumper stickers. It says this. I love my wife. Can't beat that. You can't beat that, Tanisha! You can't beat that! Amen. I love my wife. What? The reason why that we kind of chuckle at that, the reason why when we see that bumper sticker, we get a, very, we get a little, uh, little chuckle out of that, we're a little surprised by it, because it's foreign today. It's considered odd to actually love your wife. Husbands, if you're around your wife, why don't you go ahead and put your arm around them? It's okay, you're in the sanctuary of God. Mario? Put your arm around your wife, it's okay. I love my wife, Amen? And here's Job. He was like that individual. He was a man who had a bumper sticker that said, I love my wife. You know when, I like what one of my favorite speakers, Ravi Zacharias says, he's saying this, when you say I do to somebody, you're saying I don't to everybody else. Amen? And that's the individual Job was. He was a man who said, I love my wife, implying I don't love other women. And this is remarkable about the life of Job. The Bible is very clear. He wasn't somebody who was a hypocrite. When the Bible talks about the life of Job, it really is telling the truth about Job. Woo! Think about a shining witness you like to have on your side, right? But one day, Job is called to the witness stand. Job is called to the witness stand. And guess what? There are days we may not realize it, but we may be called to the witness stand of the entire universe. And those days are unpredictable. We can't plan them out. Tomorrow I'm going to be called to the witness stand before the entire universe. No, no, no. The day may come where you may be called to the witness stand and you may not even realize what's happening. And it was on a certain day that Job was called to the witness stand. Let's go to Job chapter 1. Verse 6. Like to call witness of Job to come to the stand right now? Verse 6. Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now watch what the Bible says right here. Now there was a day. A day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Now, this is very interesting. Apparently, a certain day comes in the universe where all the sons of God, the representative of all the plants, the angels are all there, and they're gathered there, and then all of a sudden, God turns and he notices one individual who doesn't belong there, and his name is Satan. In fact, in Hebrew, there's a definite article there, which means it was actually described, or actually written, the Satan. The word Satan means adversary or opponent. So the opponent shows up. Not a opponent, the opponent. So this opponent shows up. And God turns to him and says, what are you doing here? And you can see in their brief language that there are certain things that implied. And the devil says to him, I'm walking up and down earth. Now you think, that's very unusual. Why would the devil say something like that? I'm actually walking up and down the earth. Why would God even care where he is actually traveling? But what he was actually implying was, I own the earth. Do you remember when God spoke to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm gonna give you all the land. I want you to walk up and down it. And so Abraham does that. The fact that Abraham had the right to walk over the property would indicate he owns the property, and here the devil says, I'm walking up and down my property. I'm walking up and down my property. Now let's continue with this encounter. Verse 8. The conversation is very brief. The Lord knows what Satan means. Then the Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant, Job, that there is a none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? God knows what Satan is saying, and all of a sudden he says to him, oh, really? You think you own earth? Well, let me tell you the life of somebody. He's a witness. His name is Job. That is one person you don't own on earth. He's an individual you have no rights over. The Bible teaches that he shunned evil. He feared God, and so God says, look, You're walking up and down earth. You're claiming earth is your property. But let me tell you, Job. And the devil knows what that means. He knows he has not conquered earth. He's well aware of the life of Job. And folks, in the entire universe, you may not realize even now, God speaks highly of his people. God speaks well of you to his angels. I just love my servant right here. And oftentimes when you're faithful to God and you wonder, does anybody even notice? God notices. God cares. And God notices those little acts that you do of faithfulness to Him. He watches over everything. Now let's continue in this encounter. Verse 9 Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household? And around all that he has on every side, you have blessed the work of his hands and the possessions that have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now this is very important. A lot of people mistake this when they're reading this, and they're missing what's actually being said right here in this encounter. What the devil actually brings up in this debate with God, he is now questioning Job's motives. Job's what? Motives. In other words, why Job follows God. But in actuality, you know who he's accusing? He's accusing God. He was saying this to God. Hey, look, the only reason why anybody even follows you in this universe is because you bless them. Take away those blessings and you will see that they have no real love for you. Because you're not a God who deserves love. This was Satan's accusation in the original rebellion. He was telling all the angels, you know what, if we walk away from God, you know what God's gonna do? He's gonna destroy us. But folks, God does not force his love upon anybody. Can you say amen to that? The very fact that there's a rebellion is a clear indication that there is free will in this universe. And so what the devil does, he accuses God and says the only reason why he's doing this is because You're blessing him. Take him away. Take those things away. And you will find out that he questions you. And what you find in the book of Job is where a series of events take place, where Job's household is taken away, Job's servants are taken away, Job's property is gone, his family is destroyed, and even Job's health begins to to just fall apart. But through it all, what you find in the book of Job is that Job is maintaining a constant faithfulness. Can you say amen to that? It even says in Job chapter 13, verse 15, he says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? But through it all, Job was maintaining his faithfulness, his integrity. That's an extremely important word. He was maintaining the integrity of his heart and says, look, even if my household is gone, I'm still going to follow God. Even if my own family has turned away or is gone or had been who have died off, I'm going to follow God. Even if my own wife turns her back on me, I'm still going to follow God. Even if my own health falls apart, I'm still going to follow God. Even if all the friends I know accuse me of things, I'm still going to follow God. Job made it very intentional in his heart that regardless of all the events that were going to take place, he was going to maintain faithfulness. Can you say amen to that? Job was somebody who actually loved God because he loved God. It wasn't based upon the blessings that God gave him. Job actually sincerely loved God. And folks, one day, when everything is taken away from you, and one day when your health begins to decline, and all of a sudden the doctor tells you, you have cancer, What you do at that moment is going to be a testimony for the entire universe. For the entire universe. You know what's very interesting? Actually, something comical about the life of Job. Take your Bible, go to Job chapter 19. Through this suffering, through the praise in the midst of the suffering, through all that is happening, watch what Job says in Job chapter 19. Page 493 Look at verse 23. This one's going to make you chuckle. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a a book. They were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. Now, did Job write the book of Job? No. Moses actually wrote the book of Job. You know what Job is saying about his life? He says, I wish to God that someone would actually record my life, how I'm being faithful to God. I'm actually wishing that someone would record my words that I'm testifying on behalf of God. I wish somebody would take all the things that have taken place in my life and I wish they would put it in a book and I wish they would call that book the Bible. Job had no idea what he was actually saying because it came to pass. The Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Job had no idea that his faithfulness, his testimony would be recorded forever. Folks, you have no idea about it, but your life right now is being recorded in the eternal halls of heaven. And the universe is taking a good look at your life. And the witness that you give for God will count the most when it's the most difficult. When it's very difficult, when everything is taken away, when all of a sudden the people around you walk away from you, when you continue to praise God and to follow God, that is the witness that matters the most. That is when praise is the most beautiful. And when Job lifted up his heart to God and said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, the universe were seeing something about Job that his motives for loving God were based upon God's character rather than the blessings of God. Now, why would he bring this this thing up? I read something so remarkable in this book called Education. It's written by this woman called Elena de Blanco. Okay? She wrote this book called Education, and it's a remarkable book, well-known in Europe and in America. And Elena says this. Unselfishness. The principle of God's kingdom is the principle that Satan hates. Its very existence, now watch this, its very existence he denies. From the beginning of the great controversy he has endeavored to prove that God's principles of action to be selfish and he deals in the same way with all who serve God. To disprove Satan's claim is the work of Christ and all who bear his name. You know what Satan does not accept? You know what he does not believe in? He does not believe that there is any such thing as unselfishness. You know what that means? He doesn't believe in true love. Satan does not believe that there is something that as, as, as just something as powerful as just loving God because it's the right thing to do. He does not believe that there is such a thing as unselfishness. He doesn't believe it its very existence, the Bible says, he denies. And what he was trying to prove before the entire universe was that Job was selfish. And the reason why Job was selfish because ultimately, God is selfish. Folks, the devil doesn't believe in love. Sure enough, he believes in this thing, this perverted thing that we call love that's in this world, but... He does not actually believe there is such a thing as holy, godly love. He doesn't believe in unselfishness. Nope. He says he denies it. But it is our work as Christians to prove him wrong. Can you say amen to that? And that's exactly what Job did in his life. He was showing that his motives for following God were not based upon were based upon selfish principles. It was not based upon the fact that God blessed him and surrounded him with favors and made him rich. He was showing that he loves God because he simply loves God. And folks, do you love God that way? When your plans don't work out, when your ambitions fail. When all of a sudden you were hoping for something to take place and you were just investing in it and you were betting so much upon it, and all of a sudden it doesn't happen. Are you at that moment still gonna love God? Because it's that moment that the universe is watching and they're closing it and they're just seeing what you're doing at that moment. Whether or not this individual is going to testify for God. You know, the book Patriarchs and Prophets, also written by this wonderful woman called Elena de Blanco, she says something interesting. She says that when Abraham was called to sacrifice Isaac, when he was called to to sacrifice and lay upon the altar his most prized possession, his son that he had been waiting for so long, she says that all the universe was actually watching at that very moment to see what he would do. But Abraham passed the test, Amen? amen? Abraham passed the test. You're going to be called in your life at a certain moment, Where your motives are going to be tried, where your intentions are going to be tried, and you're going to see when it's just put there right on the line whether or not you truly love God. Just like Job was called to the witness stand, and he said one day, I wish someone would write this in a book, and I wish it would be preserved forever. And God was probably smiling at him, says, It's on its way, son. It's on its way. And right now, your angel is writing your life story. What's going to be the witness? What's going to be the witness? What's going to be the witness when you're called up there at that moment where you may not even realize it, and it just seems like an ordinary day, and you're called up there? Ordinary events take place, but you have no idea the entire universe is leaning in and wondering what you're going to do. Job was an excellent witness for God, vindicated God, Folks, our lives, God is waiting for. Moments where we're going to vindicate God. He's not just waiting for one person in the Old Testament or another person every other generation. No, no, no. The one thing he's going to show, he's going to show that it's not just one person who's going to have this motive. He's actually going to show that there's going to be an entire generation of people who are actually going to love God for who he is and not what he does for them. He's going to have one entire generation of people who are going to follow God because they love God, not because of what, the, what they're getting from God. He's going to have one generation. God is showing the universe, hey, this isn't some fluke thing. This isn't just some random thing that's taking place every other generation. No, no, no. God is showing the universe, watch what I do. I'm going to prove to you that entire universe is going to possess this motive. Entire Entire generation, excuse me, is going to possess this motive. Folks, we as the people of God need to unite. Right now, more than ever, we need to unite. You read the early church account. It wasn't more than they were just nice people to each other. The Bible teaches that they were sharing. They were actually sharing. I know that's something we teach to little kids, but folks, us big kids need to learn it too. Amen? We need to learn it. And when the universe starts taking a good look, when the, all the world around us begins to start realizing, wait a second, they're actually exercising unselfish love, not just towards new people, but actually towards each other, it's going to blow their mind away. These people actually, they actually love each other. They actually are unselfish towards each other. They're actually sharing Things. And they're going to be so shocked in a world of selfishness. And that's going to draw many people, folks. It's not merely simply the proclamation of love, it will be the revelation of love. Can you say amen to that? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse,